Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. July in the Garden. And it's midsummer as well, so we can celebrate that. Uh, and obviously, we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's such a good time of the year. Uh, things are growing. Um, it's just lovely just to walk around the garden in the evening and just see all your. All your work start to come to fruition, isn't it? It is. It's really good. And the weeds are growing well in the allotment. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I I was really pleased. uh, A couple of days ago, I managed to get some eggs um, for the beehives. And uh, they're purportedly English native bee eggs or very, very small larvae that Mm -hmm. hopefully I'll be able to grow some queens from. So soon we should be able to get some... Native honey here. Wow. I'm not sure it'll taste much different from the honey that we're currently creating, but yeah, I was very pleased with that. But more about that later in the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, and I've been doing a bit of pruning of my uh, my clematis montana, which decided this year to take over the world. So it's okay. been it's been hacked back, and uh, yeah, timely advice really. If you've got any clematis montanas which are overbearing, going. Absolutely a wall into your neighbour's garden. Yeah, get to get the secateurs or the loppers out and trim it back, so then you can enjoy flowers for next year. Okay, that's a good point. And obviously, you know, clematis. Uh, my neighbour's got one that grows down our fence line, and mm-hmm. I think it's a lovely, lovely flower, isn't it? It's sort of very good at covering, and obviously, you know, it gives you a bit more windbreak. And you know, we've got a little bit of sort of trellis mm-hmm. along the top of the fence, and. Yeah, the, the the clematis does look good growing along the top of that. And I always think climbing plants are a plant you can share with your neighbour. So if you've got some trellis work, my neighbour's got a lovely uh, tracular spurnum, which isn't flowering just yet. It's a little bit behind the flowering times. But when that comes into flower, obviously I walk down my pathway and I get the benefit of the wonderful fragrance. From I was going to say, is that yeah. the one with the white flowers? That's it, and yes. it really does oh. have that fantastic fragrance, doesn't it? And Talking about fragrance, uh, a friend of mine, we went, we went around for a barbecue um, at the weekend. Another and, one, Peter. <laughs> yes, another one. <laughs> And um, his roses are now all in flower. And yeah. obviously the, the scent that you get off roses, some of them are phenomenal. Are. It's, it's glorious, isn't yeah, it? It is indeed. Yeah, lots lots to look forward to this month. And we've got a busy pack programme coming up. Haven't we just? Barbecue week. Yes. At some point during um, July. We're not entirely sure. We've done a lot of research, but we can't actually nail down when it is, can we? No, it's sort of conflicts. So National Barbecue Week, according to some sources, is between the 2nd and the 11th of July. Or on other websites, it's between the 5th and the 18th, which actually is not is more than a week. So yeah. uh, yeah. We, we, We've got some very interesting um, <laughs> sort of dates there. But yeah, fundamentally for me, barbecues... Any sunny uh, evening, sunny weekend, crank it out and get the barbecue going. I love a good barbecue. And I think my favourite recipes uh, that I, I, I like cooking is um, ribs. Mm-hmm. And Personally, I'm, I've, I've had ribs all over the place and not been massively blown away by them because okay. so often they're chewy. You, mm-hmm. you get a rack of ribs and mm-hmm. they're a real favourite of barbecues, but sometimes they just... They're not nice to eat, dare I say it. My, my top tip for doing a, a nice rack of ribs is I basically chop all the ribs up into individual ribs mm-hmm. and then put them in... I'm very uh, fortunate I've got a rice cooker and that has a steaming function on it. So I steam all of my ribs for about two hours uh, on full steam and mm-hmm. give them a real good blast. And what that does is you know, all the fat off the ribs drips down into the water down below, so you end up with less less fattiness on the on the ribs. But equally, the meat just sort of 
swells up with all the steam and it really becomes really nice and tender and mm. so easy to eat. And I must say there's lots of chefs out there who make their own rubs and sauces and all of that. <laughs> I cheat. I, 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 I cheat, Chris. Surprise, okay, surprise. Uh, <laughs> I, go, I go into the garden centre and we stock Cottage Delight. They do loads of jams and um, various different sauces. And the one that I absolutely love is called Sticky Wing and Rib Sauce. Sounds it's gorgeous. like a, It's really sweet and it's got a bit of spiciness as well. And yeah, honestly, lather a bit of that over the top of the ribs and... I'm in heaven. I, I, I love a great. good rib. Uh, Peter, I, what, how are you in the, the debate of gas versus charcoal barbecue? Gas versus charcoal. For my stag do, I got a Weber Q, which mm-hmm. is a gas barbecue. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason was was we were going on a um, barging holiday for my, my stag do. Excellent. And we wanted something that was instant, easy to light, safe and... Mm-hmm relatively quick to cook on and i think gas barbecues tick all of those boxes Mm -hmm. i've also got a charcoal barbecue um that i I use for smoking Mm -hmm. and it's a bit slower it's a bit more cumbersome to light you get more flavors Mm -hmm. out of the wood smoke i always think in the charcoal and it's a little bit more involved shall i say Mm -hmm. for getting the temperature right i know some people sort of get their bag of charcoal, light <laughs> one end, and suddenly you've got five kilos of charcoal firing away and you've got a grill running at a sort of 300, 400 degrees. And surprise, surprise, everything gets burnt to a I cinder. Say, what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. However, if you're a seasoned barbecue, mm-hmm. dare I say, and you've done this a few times, you, you can regulate charcoal barbecue yeah. temperature just as easy well a little bit more complicated than the gas because you don't just turn the knob down but yeah. y- it's a bit more involved but yeah. honestly which one's better i i don't think there is a better i mean they're just different sources of heat aren't they yeah, at the, the end, end of the day, day. Yeah, yeah and yeah. i i i think the charcoal is possibly more authentic and it requires a bit more skill mm-hmm. whereas gas is quicker and it's uh, yeah, it's so yeah. The, uh, sorry to not be able to. No, no, that. no. Just yeah. I, mean, I think I started off with a charcoal, and I've now progressed to a, a gas one. But yeah, I think it's the practicality. Sometimes you just want a quick barbecue, and you don't want to be messing about time wise. But uh, you can do some wonderful steaks, some wonderful salmon on your on your gas barbecue, just as you could on your charcoal. So Definitely. yeah, it's all about the flavour though. And of course, you can. There's different ways of manipulating your gas barbecue to give more flavour. I think that's it, totally. And um, certainly in the last few years, there's um, obviously, as land prices increase and more and more flats are built and things like that, and people are now sort of having to barbecue on balconies, um, electric barbecues are now something that Mm -hmm. are making their way into the market. And I know Weber, which is a brand we stock, they do an electric barbecue. I don't think we sell it because we're fortunate enough to be in an area where... 
we don't have too many high rises, but I know certainly in the cities and um, apparently also in some campsites they don't like barbecues. Really? Okay. So, but you can have electric barbecue, which I don't know how it differs from the grill or <laughs> an electric <laughs> oven, but yeah, fundamentally it's all a label, isn't it? But I think the better thing is the fact that you're outside in the fresh air, Indeed. hopefully the enjoying a nice sunny evening, and um, yeah. I think that's the most important thing. And that's yeah, like you say the. The flavours and the things that you can cook on a barbecue are, if you put your mind to it, you can generally yeah. do it. And all the things, the ingredients in your garden now. I mean, you think like your herbs, you can start to introduce those into your, into your cooking. So, Massively, yes, yeah. So much so, yes. Yeah, so. and, and I think it's so much, Honestly, I, I, as you know, I'm king of laziness. Um, I grow herbs all the way around <laughs> my um, patio. It's got a dwarf wall around the top of it. And I've got my herbs growing on there. So for me, mm-hmm. when I'm cooking a pizza uh, in the pizza oven... Yeah. I just grab a sort of handful of oregano and chuck it on, and it, it is so easy. It, herbs add so much flavour to put it to food, they and do. Uh, it's most important, I think, to so, you know, get that going. So barbecues are definitely the cook's best friend, but perhaps the gardener's best friend too this summer. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. So a term I've heard, Chris, that I'm not entirely sure it's about barbecuing is the Chelsea chop. Can you tell us what the <laughs> Chelsea chop is? Oh yeah, nothing to do with meat in this instance. Um, yeah, we're talking food, but no, the, the, the yeah the Chelsea chop. Um, is a, a phenomenon based around cutting plants back around about the third week of May, which, of course, traditionally is when the Chelsea Flower Show is. Of course, it's yep. been cancelled. It went virtual back in May. It's coming to fruition for the first time in September this year. Um, but the, the, the Chelsea Chop basically is a matter of cutting some of your herbaceous plants back, which would normally get very tall, um, and they would possibly become too leggy in the garden. So the idea is you cut plants, things like sedums, some of the campanulas, um, coreopsis, uh, echinacea, even your lupins back, around about the end of, of May. Now, we can still do that, actually, because the season's still... And it's running very late this year, isn't it? We are definitely lagging. So if you've got sedums, especially sedums spectacularly uh, looking a little bit tall, uh, then obviously you might need to start cutting those back and try and encourage those to, to bush up from the bottom. It just means you get more flowers at the end of the day. You get a better show and the plants are a little bit more, more compact. Okay, and the Hampton hat, Chris. Do we need to all go out and buy some thoroughbreds and put our jumpers <laughs> on? Or well, the, the the manure would come in handy, perhaps. So, yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the Hampton hack. Yeah, so um, yeah, you, you sort of need to mark this in your your diary. Um, it's right. usually early July when you go along and you, you trim back a lot of those uh, early summer flowering plants which are finished. So, your Philadelphus, your Wygela, your Cistus. Um, and obviously your uh, your flow mist, which are finished flowering, you give them a tidy trim, basically. Yeah. Not so much to get more flower this year, but to, to build the plant up for, for next year. However, there are a few other plants which would benefit from being trimmed quite hard back. Okay, um, what are they? Well, one plant we sell a lot of at the garden centre uh, through our mail order is a Kilmia mollis. That's the ladies' mantle plant. Yep. And famed for its wonderful leaves, which when get when you get water water droplets on them, they look like sort of uh, almost like mercury on the the leaf. Yes, they do. They have that silver sort of patina, yeah. don't they? Yeah, they, they look great. A lovely plant, and they, they flower. They produce this wonderful yellow, frothy flower, which gets a bit untidy at this time of year. So trimming those back and cutting them hard back won't do the plant any harm at all. It's done its job. Um, they 
they do sell seed as you probably know if you've got one in your garden so actually trimming it up is good and other plants which might benefit from that would be things like your, your pansies your violas your strontias and perhaps some of your herbaceous geraniums you know, your hardy geraniums which are probably wanting to be uh, sort of culled back a little bit and tidied up with the hope and the prospect of getting some more wonderful flowers a little bit later on in the, the summer as you know peter i'm a great believer if you prune anything you feed it so a bit of yep. bit of bit of granular fertilizer so a bit of vitax q4 or bud fish and bone if you're organic just after around the plants and that'll get the plants really back into into their stride and hopefully you get more flowers to enjoy next year excellent good tip there chris thank you and towards the end of the month chris obviously is um love parks week which runs from the 23rd of july to the 1st of mm-hmm. august doesn't it now i'm sure everyone or i hope everyone is in in this camp where we've all got happy memories of parks we visited as children and to this day still i i I love going to the park and i know lots of other dog walkers probably similar to me use their local parks for dog walking most definitely and for uh, well for for general uh, country walks and for obviously nature spotting nature spotting recreation a a nice picnic and children i I think yeah no saying children love it and so many parks these days have got these play areas Mm -hmm. that we can take our children to and um even just like you say sort of nature spotting and um uh, as a boy i i can always remember having a fascination with streams and water (laughs) and making dams and so many parks do have these lovely little streams in that you can block up with um stones (laughs) that you find in the stream beds i'm not sure you're meant to but maybe health and safety has taken over that perhaps i don't know but but my recollection certainly from uh is actually yeah little, little, little paddling pools and things because when you're young you obviously parks seem huge places don't they really Definitely, Liver, yeah, almost like Gulliver's Travels. You're in this this new this new world, and they were a great escape. And to get rid of all that surplus energy, youngsters have is a is a great great way. And I think it's a great initiative. Um, this um, Love Parks Week is organised or partly organised by the um, the uh, Keep Britain Tidy. Uh, organization which of course if yep. you think about the pandemic last year and all those awful photographs and scenes we're seeing on the oh, tv I remember it yeah. I, I was out driving uh, obviously fortunately we were still able to be open and uh, even when we were shut down mm-hmm. we still had to come to work and um, water the plants um, but i can remember sort of the the, the summer hit and um, we were yeah. allowed out again and the park uh, next yeah. to me which is abington park it was just not- uh, it looked like a festival site. I don't know anything yes. like yeah. it. It was just disgraceful. Yeah. And um, yeah, just so people just throwing litter on the ground and mm. leaving it. Uh, yeah, not absolutely, acceptable. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. So the whole point of this week really will be to embrace to love our parks to respect that space and also protect these parks for the future because they've been around for for a few years as we as we know. Yeah, definitely. And uh, keeping them clean, I think, is such a yeah, it's a a bit more effort. You have to uh, remember to take all the stuff home with you. But yep. at the end of the day, it's not hard. And it's like if you can be make the effort to go there in the first place, it yep. just really annoys me that oh, yes, so many people so. can't make the effort to take all the stuff back with them and put it in the bin. Or so often there's bins in the parks to put the rubbish into, isn't there? Indeed. And obviously, like you say, sort of nature so many parks have lakes and things like that that if the rubbish isn't collected it just ends up in the lake and then the swans and the fish um, end up 
Yeah, getting getting trapped or worse. Yeah, yes, having yeah. having issues and that causes the RSPCA issues. And oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, effects, we yeah. mustn't moan too much because they are lovely places, aren't they, Chris? They are indeed, and there's some lovely ones out there, isn't there? We've got a few little bits of trivia uh, we'd like to share with our, our listener about some of the some of the big parks and smaller parks, perhaps in the world, and also perhaps some of our own favourite parks as too. But uh, what do you want to start with, uh, Peter? Well, Wynn's a great park. I think it's in the name, really, isn't it? <laughs> great. <laughs> it's, big. it's owned by our lovely queen and it's part of her back garden isn't it when she's at windsor castle indeed yes it's, it's yeah it's huge and i mean it has also um, a, a part within a park it has the savile garden uh there as well which, okay and what's that well savile garden is actually quite a relatively new garden it was created back in the 1930s right uh, it covers about 35 acres so it's it's quite a size but it's actually set up as parks within parks or gardens within gardens so you've got amazing rhododendrons because of the wonderful soil conditions obviously in that part of uh of of, 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 uh, of south east yes. england so slough, yeah, yeah, slough, isn't slough, it? yeah, yeah so yeah. you've got nice uh, acidic soils which means you can grow some fabulous Pyrrhus, rhododendrons, hydrangeas, okay. and Pyrrhus. Um, and it's actually sort of themed. So you have walkthroughs, there's a winter garden. They've made it a really a, a year round attraction. As oh, a, right. as a, as a fantastic visitor centre. And it's a, just a generally good place to, to go and enjoy a, you know, a whole day. And of course, then you can take in the, uh, the, the park, the great park. And of course, you can perhaps yep. walk up to and enjoy looking around or looking outside Windsor Castle too. Excellent, yeah, because it's uh, 28 and a half square kilometres uh, <laughs> from the research we've done, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. it obviously has a, a load of deer in it as well, mm-hmm. and I mean, that's a big old area. Um, mm-hmm. Probably quite a good long dog walk, I should imagine, <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, second on the uh, on the big list is mm-hmm. um, Canuck Chase, um, okay. uh, which is, um, I know... Very popular with mountain bikers. There's some good trails there and uh, a nice big space, a nice big open space with some hills as well. Um, so that, that that's really good. And then third on the list is Rutland Water, which isn't that far away from us here, is it, Chris? No, it's, is I don't it? know, from, from yeah, Leicestershire. It's just up the road. And um, that's obviously massive massive reservoir and mm-hmm. uh, as you know i like uh, as you may not know i, I, I like cycling so um uh, there's a good Perfect. there's yeah. a path all the way around, around that you can cycle around which is a nice long cycle ride but more importantly i think it's uh, being such a big body of water it's a site of special interest or scientific interest um because of all of the waterfowl that goes there and okay. I seem to remember a friend of mine told me there's even an osprey that, or, oh, wow. or, uh, okay. breeding ospreys that have been photographed there that obviously enjoy eating the trout and mm-hmm. <laughs> the yes. finds of the reservoir. So uh, th- th- that's nice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, my, my recollection of, of Rutland Water was a few years ago we t- did a trip actually from the garden centre here up to uh, Barnsdale Garden. So, uh-huh. so yeah, Jeff Hamilton's. That's it. Yes. Yeah. So he's yeah. So basically, they've, they've, if you remember going back to gardening back in the 1980s when Jeff obviously was on Gardener's World he created a lot of different gardens at Barnsdale uh, I think there's about 20, 27 different themed gardens from cottage gardens to vegetable to scented gardens woodland wildflower I mean it's an amazing day out and literally when you, you drive towards uh, Barnsdale you do pass the, the water and it okay. is quite spectacular and uh, yeah for, for 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 a good reason if you, you're going that way to to do the Rutland water experience and Barnsdale would be a really good day out 
Excellent. And yeah, thinking a bit more about parks, um, another interesting fact mm-hmm. that I learned recently, Abingdon Park um, in Northampton, which is my local park, okay. um, has 352 different varieties of tree in it. And it's second in the league table of uh, most trees, uh, most different varieties that's, to Kew Gardens. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I was yeah. amazed when I heard that. I mean, it, it's a big park. Don't get me wrong. I guess it's probably 30 or 40 acres. But I had no idea it's got um, so many different mm-hmm. varieties of trees in it. I, sh- I must have learned to open my eyes more. <laughs> yes. Are they all identified? Can, can you name them all, Peter? Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure I could name all of them. But yeah, yeah. well, like, you, like yeah. we found out earlier, there, yeah. there's mm-hmm. a, a bean tree there, isn't there? There is, yeah, the Indian bean tree, and it, the, the photograph looks absolutely spectacular. So, and equally, in the storms of a few years ago, one of the branches um, of uh, the bigger uh, trees behind the cafe mm-hmm. um, you know, broke and uh, left. It, from certain angles, it looks like it's um, someone waving a finger as if to say no. So it's been <laughs> named the no-no tree. I'm not sure that's still in the same you know, sort of state of disrepair of the tree as it, as it was. It, they, they may have chopped it up a bit <laughs> since then but yeah that was a good good focal point to mm-hmm. see and uh, I, I do like gardens and mm-hmm. parks in the sense of the, the open space that you can get to enjoy they're mostly free mm-hmm. um, especially all the sort of public parks they're yep. all free and yep. the, the children seem to love them uh, uh, and on holiday recently, we went up to Lancaster, and uh, I, I was very fortunate to be able to go and spend some time in Williamson Park, which has the big Ashton Memorial building in it. Now that's the one you can see from the M6 miles yes, away, yes. and I mean, isn't it? That is an impressive building. I mean, the architecture and the architect that sort of designed it was um, a bit ahead of his time, and apparently is. Because of that, um, used some building techniques that have caused us um, in latter years a few issues. <laughs> um, but the, I think they've got it all sorted. And um, Freya and I went up, I want to say, to the fourth floor, but it's a massively tall building. It looks it, impressive. It, 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 looks it really great. is. And yeah. The views from there are just outstanding. I mean, you can see the whole of Lancaster from up there and you can see sort of out to the sea and um, Morecambe. And, yeah, it's a, a really nice... Nice building to go up and look at. But I think the other thing that I realised is a park. It's a, a big old park, but there's so many different areas in it. There's sort of woodland in there, similar to the you know, Great Windsor Park and you know, the, the, the rhododendrons and az- azaleas there, you know, all in flower. I mean, there was orange azaleas that I'd, I'd never seen before. No. Orange rhododendrons, should I say. Sorry, you know, get my plants mixed up. And... Um, Little patches of woodland with lovely, lovely ferns, and there's a waterfall in the park which feeds into this pond or little lake. And I'm guessing it's man-made, mm-hmm. yep. but honestly, it looks so natural. I was blown away. I mean, it's really, really well worth a visit if you're up that way in the country. I would say go and have a look around because, uh, like I say, I, I, I was really impressed with it and totally free. Yep. Um, parking you had to pay for, but it's only a couple of pounds, but well worth sure. a visit. Yep. And uh, have you got any favourite parks? Chris? Yeah, I think you're quite right, Peter, about the visionary of a lot of these parks. I mean, it's, it's going back to the um, 
to the period of time, sort of the eight, mid sort of 1800s, when obviously landowners were giving space over to creating these open park spaces so yep. the classes could mix together and also people could have some social interaction, especially the, um, uh, well, especially people who worked in factories and in the industrial parts of the Northwest. You did produce these amazing parkland areas. My favourite uh, by far uh, is Tasson Park. That's up in Nutsford, Cheshire. Right. Well known for its, uh, well, for its deer, um, an incredible amount of deer there. And it literally has over 50 acres of, of actual uh, tended gardens. And it has an amazing Tudor hall, uh, okay. neo- neoclassical in style uh, and design, which is obviously good to have a look around. It's run by the National Trust, so you obviously you have to pay a little bit of money for your, for your parking there. I think it's about eight or ten pounds, but well worth for, for a full day. I can remember going there as probably a six, seven-year-old, and still the memories still live in there. But my, my park, which takes me back to my full childhood, is one which is based in Whitefield up in Manchester, Greater Manchester, and that's Phillips Park. And I've done a little bit of research. I mean, it's only 30, it was only a 31-acre site. Yep. However, it was created back in 1846, and it is still one of the world's first municipal parks. Really? It, it has that state. Excellent. However, if you see the disrepair it's in, unfortunately, about three or four years ago, I went up north uh, to a wedding and uh, looking around the park, it was not particularly nice uh, scenes, total annihilation of, of statues, uh, total yeah. disrepair. There was a wonderful conservatory there full of ferns and palms, again, all boarded up. There was a wonderful aviary for, for birds. Yep. That was all literally caged and barred so you couldn't uh, see into it such a shame and that's the thing if 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 love parts week does anything then it just makes us realize to respect and enjoy and try and save and protect our our areas of greenery they are so so important they are the lifeblood of of our uh, cities and i'm sure you know weeks like this we should try and you know give as much uh, support as we can well, definitely, because yeah. I, I think also thinking sort of uh, uh, on that vein, and uh, you ha- have mm. happy memories of mm. park visits. I have loads of, uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I'm hopeful that everyone who thinks about parks is we go there for positive reasons. We, we go there to enjoy ourselves. Mm-hmm. We go there to enjoy the weather, hopefully, yeah. and yeah, um, yeah ha- spend some time relaxing and enjoying yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And I think. Places like parks should really be celebrated, and um, it's really good that mm-hmm. this campaign has come about. And uh, yes, certainly, I, I, I'm thoroughly behind uh, yeah. the, the idea. Yeah, so I mean, see if any of our, our listeners really enjoy parks, perhaps you want to share your memories of your favourite park, and you can do, do that quite easily by the hashtag Love Parks. Let's get the, the let's get everybody talking about parks and uh, that that is my amazing bits of space we have. And no matter how small, we can actually celebrate and enjoy them. I love the the fact that they give so much enjoyment, uh, especially through these difficult pandemic times. So bees have been in the news again recently. Well, they seem to be in and out of the news all the time. Most at the definitely. Moment. I mean, obviously, <laughs> neonicotinoids was um, the big debate a few years ago about the effects that neonicotinoids are having on the bee populations. And now I understand that Radio 2, mm-hmm. uh, yep. DJ Sarah Cox, has got behind the bee population. And like I was saying earlier, I'm, mm. as a beekeeper myself, I... I was blown away a couple of weeks ago when someone offered me some what might be British bee uh, eggs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I say might because bees are, they, they interbreed an awful lot. And to 
get a pure apis mellifera mellifera i think is pretty far-fetched uh, idea these days because obviously unless you're artificially inseminating the, uh, mm -hmm. the queens mm -hmm. and you know the progeny of the yeah, both of the parents mm -hmm. likelihood is that there, there will be some um, rogue genes in there somewhere but uh, ultimately the British bee is um, Apis mellifera mellifera, and it's a, a black bee, which is not entirely black, but oh. it's a lot darker than something like an Italian bee, which is the cartoon sort of version mm -hmm. of the the black and yellow. Yellow, yes, um, <laughs> caricature. So hopefully I'll be able to you know, breed some queens from the uh, very, very, very young larvae that I picked up yesterday and mm -hmm. you know, bonded in, uh, built into the, one of my beehives. Um, to hopefully make me some queen cells, which I, I will be really pleased with if I can say, that. yeah, I'm one of the few people in the country Brilliant. with um, native bees. Although there, there does seem to be lots of people now getting into native bees and bees as a whole. I mean, mm. the, something that until I became a beekeeper, we were discussing earlier, weren't we, Chris, mm. about uh, when a bee flies towards you, your natural reaction is to sort of flap your arms about, brush Most it definitely. away, try and sort of get yes. rid of it. But oh, gosh, yes. having now l learnt a little bit more about bees, they, they see that as a form of attack and you're trying to sort of attack them. Therefore, if they were flying towards you or just flying past you uh, before, they now will be flying towards you and possibly trying to sting you. So, yeah, definitely if you do have a bee that's bothering you, the best thing to do is just walk away. Right. Try not to flap, try not to sort of show uh, that you're scared because it, was, it sounds incredible but honestly if you're fearful around bees they sense that mm -hmm. um, uh, i've got no scientific proof of this however being a beekeeper i've certainly learned that the calmer you are around bees and the more confident you are around bees less likely you are of getting stung but do you think? Do you think, Peter, they can actually sense that within? within do I do. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I do think that, mm. and um, it, it's one of those things that, yeah, like I say, I can't prove it, but yeah. and equally, I do understand that some people are have really serious problems if they get stung by bees or you know, certain flies or wasps, and yeah, it, it can be a real issue, but. Mm -hmm. um, Thankfully, uh, I've now been stung many, many times, so I've found that I'm not one of those unfortunate people. And um, it, it, bee, beekeeping for me is a real... It's really relaxing and calming, as strange mm -hmm. as that sounds. When you first start beekeeping, the adrenaline rush of when you open a beehive up by yeah. yourself for the first time, you're like, oh, yes. what, what, what's going to happen? I've got sort of 50,000 bees in there, all with it, or a lot of them with stings, and um, if I go wrong here, they're all going to go mad and attack me but they on the whole they don't there are yeah. different types of bees like the africanized bees that do attack you for apparently no reason whatsoever however i don't think we've got any in this country yet i know they're now in south america and uh, across the americas but thankfully they haven't made their way across to the uk yet um but yeah there's loads of different varieties of bees something that i again not didn't realize that i thought the honeybee was the honeybee but mm. Of the, the the original honeybees, um, well, I think I'm right in saying came out of Ethiopia or somewhere around there in Africa, and um, have then made their way north. And uh, when they got to the Mediterranean, some went left and went across to Spain and uh, came up that way. Other ones went across to Turkey and went up that way. So you've got all these different 
subspecies of bees and some went south and uh, as you may have heard recently in the news um, the cape bee or the, it comes from south africa cape cape town um that's one of the few bees that can actually reproduce from now let me get this right without mating so a worker bee which is a which is a female bee can actually lay worker eggs so m- oh, wow. more females you know, all bees, uh, um, if you take the queen away, all the worker bees can lay male eggs. Which, but obviously, unfortunately, in order to, the the colon, the bee colony is mostly full of female bees, which do all the work, hence the name. Yes. Um, <laughs> and in order to make a female bee, you need um, two sets of genes, whereas to make male bees, you, you only need, need the one, one. set. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yes. That's how that works. But yeah, they found that, that uh, these cape bees can actually reproduce, That's which is yeah. something that um, you think nature is a wonderful thing. It's always taking care of itself. and, and But that doesn't stop us trying to help it in our little way, does it? And, Indeed. Um, obviously, as a garden centre, we sell thousands of plants, mm. lots of which are be friendly they most definitely are yes lots of them and not just your your traditional sort of uh, herbaceous plants or your your your, your plant you grow from seed but a lot of the shrubs as well and at this yeah. time of the year we're we're enjoying things like i mean my uh, my lovely uh, pyracanthus just coming into flower and that is just always i was so i'm always amazed how many honeybees are, are on that particular plant when it's in bloom but obviously um yeah single flowers open simple flowers are obviously what attracts the bees isn't it really anything too complicated too double yeah they, they tend it. to steer away from it as well uh but obviously you know back in the spring when our apple trees and pears were in bloom they were doing obviously vital work for pollination there and obviously back in the uh, the spring when we had our wallflowers and our hellebores sort of late winter early spring they were teeming so there it's, it's essentially if you want to encourage bees to have a, a wide uh, palette of plants which you can attract those bees in throughout the year and keep them happy it's all part of designing a good garden really and if anything if you you know run through a list of a dozen bee friendly plants and put those in for the 12 months then straight away your garden's going to look nice and it's mm. going to be hopefully active with a few uh, a few flying uh, visitors as well which could only be could only be a good thing most definitely you know we're talking about herbs earlier mm. and thyme oh, yes. being a sort of a, I, I personally i love thyme as a herb um, uh, for eating but mm-hmm. that's where you get thymol from and some of you may know Obviously, bees um, have, over the last, I would say, 30 or, no, no, probably 50 years now, uh, 30, 40 years, have been suffering with a parasite called varroa, the mm-hmm. varroa mite, Indeed. which is a tiny little um, insect that jumps on top of them and uh, lives off them. But thymol is a natural sort of treatment for, for the varroa the varroa mite, and that uh, that that's uh, also good for them to uh, sort of feed off uh, uh, so you know, thyme is a great herb for for bees as are loads and loads of other other thing uh, other plants and it was interesting wasn't it back in may it was no mow may uh, was the promotion to stop us cutting our lawns or cutting our verges through the month of may to attract those flowers to come on there and i think that's been a great benefit to our bees this year in yeah. view of the fact that the spring was obviously a lot later we had that incredibly cold april with those sort of 16 18 nights of frost that in itself is good so hopefully no mow may will become a, a regular feature now of our calendar and it'll give a bit more more life and strength to our, our obviously um, 
bee population, which obviously well, yeah, is, 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 is having a bad time. Is yeah, it, it is years. having a bad time. But mm. simple things like, I mean, even just leaving a sort of foot around the edge of your mm. lawn, if you're... You've got a sort of rectangular lawn which is all fenced in, mm-hmm. and put it even just leave it mm-hmm. and maybe cut it once a year. And over a couple of years, you'll find that you do start getting flowering plants moving into there, and you quite Indeed. often find that they're really bee friendly plants as well. And other little tips like that would be ivy, is ivy a, so like you're saying mm. about sort of having plants that are in flower 12 months of the year mm. ivy was one that i'd never really thought of it's no. a very late flowering plant it is. isn't it and yeah. you, so move the, let me get this right november december time yeah, yes yeah right at the back end of the year and yeah. if you mm. if you know, bees generally fly in this country when it's above sort of 10 degrees which mm-hmm. sometimes in december it's not warm enough for them to fly and they'll stay in the hive but 10 to 15 degrees and they're out feeding and if they're looking at out flying they're using energy they need resources and they're getting that from the nectar from the plants so things perfect. like ivy in the middle of winter is perfect for them and then yeah. so yeah yeah if you talk to beekeepers i'm sure they can give you some tips as to which <laughs> plants to plant in your garden indeed i was there last night peter i was uh, just done a bit of garden a bit of watering i sat down on the garden furniture and i've got uh, pots of both english and French lavender. Okay. And, and which I, ones do they like? Both. Really? Yes. Excellent. That's now, good. yeah, you see, I always thought bees tended to go for, for English lavender um, only because of the, the shape of the flower of the French lavender is more, it's more uh, tubular, isn't it? It's yep. more different. But I was watching this, this honeybee and it was enjoying, it was gorging on the, uh, on the stoltis lavender okay. in my pot. So that's good. That's good news. At least it sort of reinforces my view that any lavender in your garden is valuable. And lavender is such a lovely aromatic plant as well, isn't it? When Most you brush past oh, it yes. and you get that yeah. lovely yeah. smell, yeah. it always yeah. reminds yeah. me of France and the sort of lavender fields oh, out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Glorious. Yes. yeah. So, um, yeah, so should we just quickly recap on the, 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 the big B challenge then? So, yes. Yeah, so basically, it's all going to formulate towards the end of the, the month, uh, end of July, uh, in a special uh, weekend uh, called the Big B Challenge Weekend. And uh, Radio 2, uh, in conjunction with the Royal Horticultural Society, have set up this competition. You get details if you go to the BBC Radio 2 website. It's aimed at children aged between 6 and 12. And basically the idea is to design a buzzy, bright buzzy garden that will attract bees and other pollinating insects. I think it's a great initiative for them to do. And uh, as I say, the, the prize, and it is such a good prize, it's your garden will actually come to fruition. It will be designed. Okay, so they'll make it for... They, which is great, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's fantastic. And it will be going to a... Um, it'll be designed, it'll be built by the Royal Horticultural Society, so it'll be, grow, it'll be done rather well. And it'll be uh, reinstalled in a, a National Health Trust site, which is used by children and young people with mental health needs, which, again, is just fantastic. Um, yeah, so a really good idea. Yep, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. as I say, you'll get all details from the, uh, and so you've got a little bit of, bit of time to do that, so do, do, do enter and uh, let us know how you get on. And I'm sure Zoe Ball and um, her team <laughs> will be uh, very keenly promoting that so yeah, yeah if you don't listen to radio 2 i'm yeah. sure <laughs> have a listen to that as well yeah, yeah that's indeed. good 
And something else I heard about recently is the HTA photo, you know, photography competition. Yes. And that's currently open now and runs to September, is it? Yeah. You've got to get your snaps in by... Yeah, by, by the 6th of September. So, yeah, if you go to um, the National Garden Gift uk photographic competition, you'll get all the details there. Basically, a grand prize of two tickets to the RHS Chelsea Flower Show 2022. Wow. Um, when it hopefully is back in May and it's going, plus okay. 500 pounds of national gift vouchers, which you can spend obviously in store. And there's a run up prizes of uh, five, yeah, 100 pound garden gift vouchers as well. So some good, good prizes up for good draw. Good prizes, yeah, because yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking about the HTA and their sort of you know, mm. competitions. I seem to remember at the garden centre, we had a, was it a Christmas? Yeah, card co- yeah, competition design, they ran a couple of years ago. It was aimed at schools, yeah, design a Christmas card um, for the voucher. Um, when people go and collect their, their uh, garden vouchers, they often have a nice sort of gift card yeah. to include it. And the idea was to, to for, for schools to get involved in this to create uh, some wonderful designs. And, uh, yeah, for over a couple of years, we did rather well with our local schools. Yes. Thinking, yeah. Hopefully, if yes. you're listening to this podcast or you're a garden centre customer, mm. um, please do let us know if you enter the photography competition. And, uh, we wish you the best of luck yeah. and hopefully you can get us another winner that we can talk yeah. about. And as I say, Peter, we're, we're quite keen on photography uh, at the garden centre anyway, because obviously last year we created for the first time our own calendar, yes. which we generated photographs which we'd taken on site here and through our social media postings. So uh, we're, do, we're busy doing that now for, for obviously 2022 yep. to create a calendar. So, yeah, it, you know, have your camera now. The thing is, now with smartphones, you, you've permanently got a camera with you. So, yeah, any snaps, anything garden-related, that's the most important thing with the, the, uh, the competition. Uh, make it fun, make it colourful, make it maybe a little bit wacky and wild. I'm sure that will catch the judges' attention. Brilliant. Okay, so yeah, no, if you're an avid photographer, maybe think about that if you want an, mm-hmm. a nice competition to enter. I'm just thinking about the summer holidays, Chris. Obviously, I've got Freya into gardening a little bit and growing things like the sunflowers now. Mm-hmm. We've got Christmas potatoes coming in soon, haven't we? We have, yes. Garden centres will be stocking um, these first early varieties probably around about the middle of this month and then into August. But really, as soon as they come into the garden centre, try and grab yourself a, a pack. Varieties generally are, as I say, these uh, these first early. So varieties like Charlotte, Desiree, yep. Maris Piper, Pendulum Javelin, and I think Sharps Express. Um, not expensive, under £3 for sort of nine tubers. So they're not <laughs> almost pocket money prices. Uh, and just get yourself some nice big pots. And unlike the ones we talked about in the in the earlier part of the uh, the year, really chitting is not necessary with these. They seem to get away so much quicker. Okay, if you just so you can them, just yeah. literally chuck them in. And yep. uh, so, uh, so my memory of planting potatoes in tubs is mm-hmm. that you put a couple of um, inches of soil on the bottom mm-hmm. and then put the uh, potatoes on top of that and yep. then a couple of uh, sort of inches of soil over the top yep. and then as they grow, you increase the sort yeah, the, the compost yeah it's almost like am uh, i going uh, right or yeah, no, 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 <laughs> am i leading the, our listeners astray again chris not at all absolutely right basically you're earthing up as in adding more compost to your pot okay so and as the as issues uh, we haven't got obviously frost at this time of the year well we hope not uh, <laughs> famous last words yeah. um so yeah so just keep adding a bit of compost as the the green shoots start to appear through the soil which is fun for the kids as well because you can every morning you can you can do a, a, a potato check can't okay you? So, so you yeah. don't have to wait for the shoot to actually sort of 
make a couple of centimetres of no, growth just, over the top, literally as it breaks through, just, just keep, doing keep it. on burying that, it. That's it, and the, the momentum of the plant. Remember, the plant will want to grow. The, the day length is obviously so long at the moment, so it's yep. going to start dropping, obviously, in the next few weeks, but it's still at the optimum as far as growing conditions, so that potato will just want to grow and want to put a lot of energy into producing sort of stems. And remember, potatoes are stem tubers, so the more stem you can produce on that that growth the more potatoes you're going to get yes so a good size pot any you know peat free compost absolutely fine a bit of a bit of drainage if you've only got one uh, hole in the bottom of your pot but go for a decent size pot if it's a pot perhaps more than i don't know 60 centimeters in diameter so two foot maybe two or three tubers if the pots are smaller than that just one tuber per pot Really, is little and literally just one. That, that's yeah. really interesting because yeah, no, I, I guess I overcrowded my potatoes when I used to grow them in bags. Then. Yeah, it's it's easily done, and you've got to leave obviously plenty of space for the the, the tubers to form. And then remember the rule: six weeks after planting, so probably towards the end of August. Then start feeding. Start feeding. And then, of course, being in the potato family, um, obviously related to tomatoes, you need to be thinking of a tomato feed and, okay. feed, them, and feed them once a week right through. And, of course, you know, there'll come a point once you get into late August, or well, autumn, when they will get frosted. And at that point, try and bring them then into somewhere frost free, so a garage or a, somewhere stored. And then, of course, you can then lift the potatoes running up to Christmas. Excellent. Um, or, or before. <laughs> yeah, if you're hungry like me. <laughs> Impatient. That's yes. brilliant. But, but, but easy to do and, and good fun for, for the children. You could have a, you know, have a, see how much weight you can get from each bag. Well, yeah, that's a good competition that we used to run here. And mm. uh, obviously the last few years we haven't been able to with all of the issues with covid however mm-hmm. i know it, yeah the, the, the grow sort of who can get the biggest weight of potatoes Indeed. in the yeah. bags well, that was a great competition bit of competition in the family hey that's that's not too bad a thing to be doing especially no. when, when potatoes and food are involved and just another quick point chris mm-hmm. um with regards to watering mm-hmm. obviously feeding after sort of six weeks or so once yep. the mm-hmm. fertilizer's running down with potatoes do you want to let the compost totally dry out do you want to keep it sort of moist at all times do you want to keep it waterlogged what's the best mm, condition i would say keep it moist yeah don't uh, that's why i was saying about the drainage is important at the bottom of the pot you don't want the plants standing in water but certainly keep the water flowing so you're probably going to have to water them every probably every day or every other day especially when the the potatoes have reached the top of the bag always leave a little bit of space compost wise so you can get water in yep. otherwise the water will just run out and you won't be able to penetrate the the compost with you with your water supply and uh, you might even have to stake the tops of the plants you might have to put some canes okay. just to hold the the foliage um, and often when you do late potatoes you do get a nice show of flowers as well so that's always a good sign that the the, the crop's coming on nicely Wonderful. That sounds like a good project and keep us busy till Christmas. Most definitely, yes. So as the uh, the school holidays fast approach, um, time to start to think about some projects for the little ones to get involved in. Obviously, we had our uh, uh, National Gardening's Week uh, last month. Um, Now's the time to start thinking about projects for, for July and August couple of websites actually the children's gardening week.co.uk fun things to do uh, is one to go for and of course the rhs have a really good learning uh, facility on their website if you go to educational learning gardening uh, school projects lots of things from making a well we're talking about bees peter make, making a bee hotel okay. press press flowers uh, creating wacky animal uh, sculptures uh, what else have we got rock painting bugs creating crest heads from uh, 
egg, egg, um, egg, egg shells. Ah, now that's a bit like our caterpillar uh, oh, um, yes. challenge, isn't it? Now hopefully we'll get yes. to do that soon. Yes, hopefully we can do that. And for, for the things like creating a, a hedgehog feeding station as well, uh, even creating sensory parts in the garden. So there's lots of things. So if you're okay. stuck for ideas, those are a couple of websites. They'll be on our uh, show notes uh, for, for more details. Brilliant. Okay, Chris. So I think that wraps it up for July in the garden, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. Just perhaps. Just well, perhaps we'll leave on one little thing. On a uh, we had a, obviously a, a uh, email question. Oh, a question. A question. So our, our question. So we're starting with a, uh, a question for the month of July from uh, Norma Valerie Wheeler, and she asks. She bought some pear trees and some oaks from from the garden centre earlier this year, and the pears she's going to grow as cordons, and they're doing well. Um, however, there's some orange spotting on the leaves, which is one thing. Okay, what do you think that might be, Chris? That's probably going to be the dreaded... Yeah, well, there's obviously leaf spot on lots of things, but it tends to be rust on uh, ornamental uh, apples and pears, unfortunately. Okay. Not, a, not a lot we can do about it. And we seem to be getting quite a few of these coming into the garden centre. You can treat with the uh, good old plant guard, which we mentioned a couple of uh, podcasts ago, actually, made by Vitax which is something you apply to the leaves and it acts as a physical barrier and stops the, the spores basically germinating. So yep. it's a, it, you work it as a, as a preventative treatment. Having said that, if it's already got the problem, it's best thing to do is just take off those leaves, give the plant a really good feed and the plant should come back. Yeah, and of course, keeping your, uh, your wonderful pear as a cordon takes a little bit of, bit of pruning and training. Basically, during the summer, you want to be pruning those side shoots down to a one lateral, to one leaf. So basically, you just need to follow the stem back from those laterals to your main stem. So, and just cut just below a bud. So you've basically got a nice short, what they call a fruiting spur in place. Can be a bit complicated, good old pruning of uh, cordons and espaliers. Um, but certainly going along and just nipping those shoots back will encourage the plants to produce hopefully some nice fruiting uh, and flowers for, for next year. And again, a good feed at this time of year. Good old sulfate of potash, firm favourite for um, for fruit, would, would help immensely. So give the plant a good good feed in there. And that should be fine. So keep your plants in good health Um now, uh, Norma, and I'm sure you'll find that they'll, they'll come back with, with vigour. And certainly, uh, it's just great to hear that you're growing some, um, obviously, some trained fruits. It's so, so encouraging that people are taking a bold leap of faith because training fruit is not a, an easy thing to do. No, and it's, it's a long term project it as is. well. I think yeah. it's one of those um, yeah. projects that after sort of four or five years or so, yeah. you can really start to look and yeah. see something that looks really fantastic. And it, it's like everything in life, isn't it? It takes time, but it's it's worth the effort, isn't it? Yes. So thank you for that question. Yep, thank you. Thinking um, to a couple of Wednesdays' time, what's our next show about? We're looking at the wonderful world of the English Rose in all its wonderful glory with um, James Taylor and Joe Davey from Wharton's Roses. Excellent. And no doubt we'll be learning lots about uh, different varieties and how to take care of them, will we? Varieties, fragrance, that crops up quite a bit, and also how to get the best from growing uh, roses in containers as well, pots. Brilliant. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, We want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. 
from parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.